is a podcast that watch Christmas. Hello, and welcome to what I think is probably episode uh, 64 of Because of Podcasting Watch Christmas. If it's not, I apologize for the OCD amongst you. I'm sure you'll, you'll get by. Um, or drop me a line. I'll, I'll redo the numbers. So this is the third in my three chronological, chronological just in terms of the order in which I spoke to them, chats with the people responsible for Black Current Tango. I don't know what I've said in the other two yet, because weirdly I'm recording this one first. But um, obviously there were lots more people involved with Black Current Tango. You can watch the making of Black Current Tango, which I've probably put on Colin's uh, blog post. Um, you're going to have to look at all of them if you want if you want the full thing. So um, again, I'm, sh- I'm sure I'm going to be repeating what I've said to Colin and Shaz, but uh, my intention was to have 15 minutes with the three of them and then make it into a one-hour episode or 20 minutes and make it into a one-hour episode. But once I'd spoken to Colin for about 50 minutes and then Chaz was an hour and then David's an hour, obviously they all get their own episodes, yay. Um, the chat with David was fascinating because he's my second chat with a client, but a very, this is not to say the other client wasn't, but a very approachable and interesting uh, client who obviously talks about everything Black Current Tango, as that was kind of what we were looking for, but also just talks about what it's like to be a client, to interact with an agency and a creative team, and you know the pressures that are on him that we may not know about. You know, he, he describes advertising as five percent of his job, with the rest of the marketing situation taking up the other ninety-five percent, which I thought was was a uh, really uh, interesting thing to know. And then there's loads of tidbits. If you want to know what it's like from the other side of the table, please listen to the rest of this. Um, he's doing an interesting. Uh, in Berticom, I'm doing a Berticom that you can't see around this work for good uh, initiative uh, now in terms of talking to clients and he explains that at the end and um, that's all great. I apologize slightly in advance. Um, some of the sounds a little bit odd in that I, I ended up being a lot quieter than I thought I was for some weird reason. I recorded them all the same way and then I'm a little bit quieter so sorry if you've got to put the volume up and down a little bit in this conversation. Um, and then it gets a little bit crackly on David's bit later on, so apologies for that. Um, I'm sure you'll get by. It's not like it's not like it doesn't really ruin anything, but it's just uh, I just wanted to get out of the way to tell you I'm conscious of it and massively apologetic. Sorry. So uh, without further rambling ado, here is my chat with David. Hi, Dave. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. How are you doing, Ben? I'm, I'm great, I'm great. Um, thanks very much for making the time to talk. Um, you're actually the third person of the three that I wanted to talk to. So I've now had some background material from both Colin Gregg and Chaz Bayfield. So just for a bit of context and background, um, how and why did you end up being a client slash the client on Black Current Tango? Well, it, I let's think. I started out selling Pepsi vending machines. So I started out in sales. And... Um, I thought marketing seemed like a good profession to get into, so I moved from sales into marketing, and I was in the marketing department. Um, yeah, I looked after Tango for about three and a bit years. So, um, we did you ever have ambitions to be the client, and did you did you know what the being the client was? Did you have training on being the client? So I started out. I mean, I've got. I started out in computer science. Um, uh, rather weirdly um, and I thought that marketing 
this is before I, I joined Britvic. I thought marketing seemed quite interesting, and all I saw of marketing was the output of that, the advertising, if you like. Um, it, I thought it looked quite sexy. But the first chunk of my career, I, it was always um, so. I suppose I misunderstood the difference between marketing and advertising. Um, and then I joined Britvic, uh, as I say, in a, in a selling role, and then moved into the marketing department and stayed for about ten years. Uh, what did I? I didn't want to be a computer scientist, so I thought marketing looked quite sexy. Marketing looked quite sexy. There's the quote that I didn't yeah. think was going to be said today. But you, you must have had a, a an idea of the, the tango ads that had gone before, because I, I assume like there was weren't the first ones like the the slappy guy. Wasn't that about five years before Black Current Tango? And in, in which case, did you? Yeah, it was. And I, I took over from my predecessor who did that advertising. Um, and I suppose what I did that was different, and this is what I think people maybe don't understand if they haven't worked in a client role, is that the amount of time that you end up spending thinking about advertising is about 5% when you're a client. 95% of the time is thinking about production or persuading the sales force to sell your brand rather than your mates brands because obviously in the marketing department you you have mates so i was in charge of tango mates in charge of pepsi or robinsons or things like that so when it comes to talking to people like Chaz, i probably that would only be about five percent of my work and i suppose if you've have you worked client side or have I you always no. been? well yeah not really not really yeah i think when i'm talk when i talk to people in um in the agency world, they 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 maybe don't appreciate that. I suppose. I mean, I don't know. It's it's, it's the the the, mar the advertising communications part of the job is is what comes um, a little bit further down the line after you've defined the business strategy. I, I used to say that eventually I worked out what marketing was. By the way, and it, right. it, it's. Um, I think it's like being a, a, the managing director of a brand, if I can put it like that, or at least it is in a customer-led organization, you know, a, a company that really, truly believes and cares for its customers. Um, but I, 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 I did a comment into Hal Henry, by the way. So I used to, I worked at Hal Henry for three weeks as a creative. Um, so I did get a little bit of a taste, even in those early days, what being a, what being an, what, what, what it was like to work in the advertising world. A little bit, a tiny taste. Well, I think that I think that um, crossover might be valuable to a lot of people. I mean, I, I've done one more interview with a client, so I've, yeah. I've had I had some. There were some surprising kind of revelations from that. I mean, you're saying it's five percent; it's quite interesting. But he was saying the, the most fundamental thing that was interesting to him was that it was almost like him and the agency were a thing, not against his company, but he was having to kind of be on his agency's team to talk to his company about what the advertising was going to be rather than be the person at the other company against the agency, which is where it's the way it's perceived quite often. Yeah, I, I did listen. Yeah. I think that's, what do I think about that? Um, so I, I would always try and involve the company in my, in my work and let me give you an, I'll give you an example. And this is, uh, the, the, this was the formative kind of, I guess, part of my career. Um, 
So I, you know, that Black Tango ad, for example, um, I ran a competition internally with Britvic employees to, to for them to win prizes to be featured in the ad. I don't know if you notice when you come when when people when there's the crowds of people coming over the horizon. That's busloads of Britvic exec, busloads of Britvic employees. Um, and what that did, I think, it, I mean, there's four thousand people who work at Britvic, um, and a couple of hundred of them, couple of hundred of them went to the to went to that Black Crown Tango shoot. But what what that did was help get the employees on my side. Not all of them, of course, I needed to be on my side, but it, it, it's. But, but that well went well with the HR director. That was the point of the story. Right. It's, it's building bridges with all of the kind of people that I needed to influence. Stakeholder management, I think, is the... Stakeholder management. Would be the phrase, you know? Yeah. Well, I think the... But that point about having the ad agency on my side, yeah, I kind of think that's right, actually. It, it, but I think it's... I wanted the company on my side as well, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think what was interesting about him saying that the other client saying that was that there's often a them and us agency client relationship where you go, oh, the bloody client, or maybe in your case, the bloody agency or whatever it's happened to be. And I thought it was yeah. fascinating to, to have him think that, and it may have been different because he was a car client, so he's got to talk to all those dealers and get them on side, and maybe it's a different system for them and, and whatever. Uh, actually, that's a good point. So, I mean, I suppose the equivalent of, my that industry that I used to work in there was um, that the, the people that Tango had to persuade to make Tango successful were the big supermarkets. So you know, like Tesco and um, Sainsbury's and all that kind of stuff. And so we developed, I developed with the, our agency partners. So this is definitely where a partnership thing came in. So what buyers wanted to know was how much profit they're going to make out of it. And actually, they loved the advertising because they knew advertising worked. So that was a really important part of of the pitch to them. It's like saying, here's our advertising program and here's, our, uh, here's the pricing strategy and here is our new product development. It's all part of one package. But those typical um, relationships would be marketing person, me, national account manager, someone from sales, and the buyer. And you would normally meet in Tesco's um, boardroom or something like that. Right. So I thought I'd disrupt the crap out of that relationship because I wanted to make sure it was different. So I bought a, a, a Rolls Royce and a caravan and we would drive to those meetings and park said caravan and Rolls Royce in the car park of Tesco head office, for example. And those meetings with me from marketing and the guy from sales and the buyer were in the Tango caravan in the car park. So to me, that was, and then I, and then we would give this surprising presentation because it was deliberately designed to be as if it had come from someone like McKinsey or something, you know? Right incredibly businesslike and no <laughs> no stupidity and yet we were in this stupid environment which i think as in the, this caravan thing i think that kind of disrupted it disrupted the the typical uh buyer a seller relationship in the, in this case britvic and tesco or britvic and uh asda or whoever yeah. it happened to be 
Well, I, th I think the point you, you made about five minutes ago of, of the marketing and the 5% is really interesting in terms of how agencies see it because I think a lot, a lot of people these days confuse marketing and brand and advertising and people think marketing is advertising and, uh, and it's clearly positioning and price and distribution and all those other things that we don't get involved Yeah, that's, what I was trying to say was, well, if marketing is the 100%, mm, yeah, the yeah. bit that we think about advertising is maybe 5 to 10, it might be a bit more, but, yeah. you know, 5 to 20%, let's say. It is a big chunk. But the point is, it's not everything. And in fact, Tango really started to grow. I think it grew by £50 million turnover over the course of three and a half years. Um, when I was stewarding it, I mean, that's a phrase, isn't it? Looking after it from a... Who, who owns Tango? Well, you know, the idea is you want the you want your customers to own it, you know, the, the drinkers. Um, but it grew because... Yes, the advertising was good, but the pricing against Coke was also correct. And I could go into the detail on that if you like, but the but it was it, but getting the pricing right was really important. And then that other thing I think that really made it successful was that disrupting the process of the um, relate the, the buyer seller relationship between Britvic and the um, the companies distributing it. Well, well give us a quick one on that. I, I'm, I'm interested in the price because I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, why do different chocolate bars that are essentially a bar of chocolate cost cost different prices? And I'm assuming, assuming Coke has a sort of premium-y thing. And, and did, was Tango positioned? I'm imagining it was a little bit cheaper? Uh, no. Tango was actually more expensive than Coke. Oh, okay. See, I'm learning. <laughs> and that's where it didn't quite work because and, I, and I, when i talk about price i mean the average price across the year all right so it's the price that the customer pays on average across the year which obviously takes into account promotions you know like by you know the things you get by six for five yeah, and yeah. bog off and okay. all that you know that you come across that one very much so yeah. all those nonsense phrases that, well all that is part is where the price comes from and um, actually, from the analysis on pricing that I did, um, I discovered this. That, that it, Tango could cope with a degree of premiumness against uh, against its competition, but certainly to, to be out of kilter with the market leader, which in the, obviously Coke, didn't quite work. So that, that pricing analysis meant that it, I had to re-engineer the, the promotional strategy. And that was one of the factors of success. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Kind of? Absolutely. Yeah. But I think it's great to have an insight into, like you said, the 5% of the 100%. And, and I think someone said advertising is the voice of marketing. Or the, you know, yeah, it can be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Is, or is, a, is a reductive way of putting it. it yeah, it's a bit... It's, so here's the way I think of it, really. It's uh, and positioning, and this is where I think it is more than 5%. You know, collaboration with a company like Hal Henry and Chaz and those people and... I'd be interested to know what Colin Gregg said about it all in a minute, because um, I think that Black Run Tango had helped launch his career, didn't it? Well, he he had barely done an ad um, because he'd done TV drama before then. Yeah, and, um, so he got him into advertising. But but what I was going to say was, it is um, if that positioning work is right and it's led by consumer insight, customer insight, and and we know from that that it's uh, likely to resonate. And there's a whole process of research and stuff that goes into that. As I'm sure you know, planners would talk about that at length. 
um, then my job was to make sure that that brand expression was consistently applied across all contact points because the brand is experienced by people in many ways, not just the kind of stuff they see on a TV ad or a YouTube yeah. ad or something, but also, you know, how the sales force might interact with the buyers or yeah. how um, a piece of PR might play out or something. And I think getting that all integrated is, is, is actually the bit that makes the difference because as soon as you have one part that doesn't quite connect, it creates cognitive dissonance, doesn't it? It creates a kind of, what's going on vibe in, in the minds of whoever's looking at it, viewing it, experiencing it. Absolutely. And I, I think it's interesting because Tango as a brand, I mean, I think from the beginning of, of, of the, the, the guy slapping him, whatever, afterwards, felt like Tango equals some sort of anarchic but humorous kind of thing in terms of the advertising that we saw. So you had, Chaz mentioned this, it was like the seduction of apples and the hit of real orange. And then there really wasn't a, a thing for black currants in terms of what it was supposed to be as a brand personality. Could you talk about that a little bit in terms of Tango as a brand and then how you, you got down to what black currant was going to be? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, we did used to talk about the hit of oranges, which um, was the kind of core thought of orange Tango. And the seduction of apples, I suppose that's the, the I don't know if you remember some of that work, which mm. I did the, the, the Apple Tango um, helpline, uh, which I think was one of the first brands or first consumer brands to uh, to use direct marketing <laughs> as in DRTV in a, in a, which in a, in a, in a brand that wasn't really a DR-type brand, you know, not yeah. really a direct response brand. It's not that you could phone up and order a... Order a an Apple Tango. An Apple Tango, but you could get... But we did it as a, as a, as a joke, really. Actually, I'll come back to a story on, on Orange Tango in a minute, if you remind me, called the Orange Tango Doll. Um, but we were thinking about what would... What would what would work for blackcurrant tango and i suppose because it's it was uh blood colored you know yeah. it's purple <laughs> purple reddish and i suppose that's where that core thought of um it gives you a charge it gives you a rush um and actually that is what ray gardner i don't know if you it'd be good to play the ad actually i don't know if you could play the ad um in your podcast or if it if you um, if you if you look if you go on YouTube and just put Blackcurrant Tango or BCT or if you want a real laugh, go to Making of Blackcurrant Tango. I have seen that. Um, Blackcurrant Tango. Yeah, sorry. I've uh, my I think my computer's mo moving quite slowly for some reason, but um... of Blackcurrant Tango, you'll see that I that's me at the start with a very very dodgy jumper. Um, standing on the white cliff of dover chatting to somebody <laughs> yeah um i think it was colin who, who pointed that out to me and then i saw there's a lot of Chaz in there looking like a sort of he's got a big jumper on and some and some 90 sideburns we're all looking a bit 90s which is a bit of a, a bit of worry but he actually said and i can re i can reveal this over 20 years later because he's not going to get in trouble with the client he said that the, the planner said we don't really know what black current tango does or is so come up with something great and we'll retrofit the justification for it when you said that did he i don't know if i don't know if he named the person but he said that's what the planner 
presumably, yes, that plan is dead. David Hanlon. Um, I bet you Dave will clip his ears for that. <laughs> I, think, I think, yeah, I mean, it's a good point, and I'm open to this concept, right, which is, I mean, you say retrofitting or post-rationalisation. Yes. It, it is absolutely right. You know, sometimes, which comes first, strategy or creativity? And the answer is it both at the same time and one can inform the other and I would always hold both loosely enough that one could inform the other as long as it was all consistent in the end and all worked in the end is that kind of you know that's um, is it an advertising construct so it sort of has to work enough for it to be true you know there has to be a grain of truth in it so yeah the grain of truth in Black Run Tango is the, I mean, I suppose any soft drink could give you a bit of a charge because I regret to admit this now, it's got sugar in it. Oh and now God. I realize how bad that is. Yes. You know? Terrible. I, 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 uh, I don't know. I'm not too hard on myself because I just didn't know at the time. I do now. But um, it kind of works. I mean, it's the same with the hit of oranges. The hit of oranges works for any fizzy drink because it gives you a little bit of a hit. Yeah. So I suppose that could work for anything. It would. But we were single-minded about those thoughts, you know. Um, and the cleansing nature of lemon, by the way, was the fourth. Oh yeah, in the, to make it like a quadrant. Yeah, but I think even it's funny that you're saying that because we often come up against clients who go, "Yeah, but anyone could do that thing," and our response tends to, "But you could, you, you know, you could look at dozens and dozens of ads and go, anyone could do, this, you know, Adidas could do, just do it, for instance." Um, but Nike owns just do it, so it's their thing now. And even though that, that, and you're right, you could have the hit of Coca-Cola if you really wanted to. But once you start forging out a brand and a path for yourself and something that you own, then it stops being something someone else could do. But not everyone's got a unique thing, so you know. Yeah, you're into an interesting territory there. I think there has to be a grain of truth at yeah. the core of it, and then you've got to do it biggest and best and fastest and longest and hardest, you know, and build it over time. I mean, the Nike thing, I, uh, I've not worked on that brand, so I'll, I shouldn't comment on that, so I won't. But, the, but you know, Tango was built up over time um, to mean what it meant right. um, consistently, you know, for years. <laughs> and I think that's that's quite an important thing, actually, and especially into th nowadays, I mean, you, you What's the, they say the average tenure of a marketing person is two years. Mm. It might not be long and might not be long enough to build proper brand equity over time. Uh, I know the world's moving faster and faster and faster, so I guess there's a counterpoint to this argument. But there's a lot of. I mean, I was reading a, some, someone actually sent me an IPA paper on the fact that short-termism in advertising is killing creativity, and it's yeah. therefore killing effectiveness because. Rather than trying to build a brand for the future, people are just going, "What's the way that gets Q, this Q better results?" And yeah. um, that's problematic. But what, what, what I also remember is there was a tango ad before in the '80s where I believe a song by the Shadows played as people played table football in a cafe, and tango became a very different brand at the point of the slap in the face. And I don't know because I think it must have been slightly before your time. But tango, which is, "Hey, let's all go out and have a tango while we're sitting in a cafe," compared to we're going to have a big metaphorical or allegorical kind of, you know, suggestion of what it is. And, and that took tango into a different brand area, surely. And so, um, I think the short answer is probably yes, but, it, but we're predominantly talking, I mean, 
the Black Run Tango ad did did a few things. Um, it put I don't know if you know it's did Chaz talk about the fact that it was slightly piss takey of Coke as well? I th- he didn't really know. So let's dig into that for a second because okay. it's quite a funny story. So you know the famous Coke. I mean, so to your point about uh, Tango before those the advertising that we did with HHCL and Chaz and Coke. Um, I can't really comment on it. It was, I think it was a, a pretty successful brand and it was, mm, you know, looked yeah. after well and probably, and quite British actually, quite earthy. Yeah. Um, it's probably ticking along quite nicely, but there was two things that happened. One, we put an American voiceover on it, which suddenly was a bit surprising. You know, yeah. you know, when you hang it with an American voiceover. And then a couple of years later, which went up, you know, under my tenure, um, I mean, I continued with the orange tango work and introduced um, lemon tango and, and blackcurrant tango and stuff. But what black the blackcurrant tango ad in particular was partly a piss take of Coca-Cola's I Want to Buy the World of Coke and Teach the World to Sing. Oh, right. And we did another version of the ad, which I've still got somewhere, which instead of saying, um, uh, which instead of being a, 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 you know, if you remember the construct, it's about um, he's He's taking the. He's having a go at Sebastian Loy's a French exchange student, isn't he? Yes. Or hair Johnson's uh, loafers. I I got the guys to do another version for me, which was um, Sebastian. You're a Coca-Cola employee. <laughs> you drink Coca-Cola, and I recorded and everything, and I would show this to the trade, and um, he used to just for fun, right? Yeah. I mean, clearly it's breaching copyright. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, the legal department at Coke and the marketing department at Coke got hold of this. So I got a letter from both and the marketing department thought it was really funny <laughs> and the legal department um, weren't very happy. <laughs> I got a kind of knuck, a, a slap across my wrist for that. Yes, understandably. Um, so, so We never, don't worry, it was just shown <laughs> properly in, uh, uh, to the buyers, to the, to the trade. Well, I, yeah, and I, I'd imagine Coke is a litigious kind of company uh, in whenever they can be. Uh, yeah, they can be, but I mean, I worked on Pepsi for a while as well, and, and one of the things that's true is Pepsi looks to Coke to see what's going on, and Coke's official stance is that nothing else ever exists. I mean, of right. course, they yeah. do now, but they don't really care. They're, they're big enough to, to not care. I thought it was quite a good accolade. I was proud of that one to get a letter from Coke saying they liked the So going into the client sort of weeds a little bit, can you tell us about yeah. the process of when you were, say, presented with the script and what you thought and did it feel like a winner straight away or, or what happened? It was one of about six or seven different ideas that Jim and Chaz had come up with. Um, and I actually still remember one of the other ideas that we didn't run. That process was very collaborative, and I took that. I mean, I ran an agency, a creative agency or a consultancy, I suppose, is, is better. So, I, uh, And I took that learning, if you like, into that way of working, which is to be, and I think it requires one key ingredient, which is trust. There has to be trust between the client and the agency teams. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, not on the Black Contango one, sometimes... I might have gone on me and my team, because it wasn't just me, um, the, you know, the guys in my team, we might have 
not quite agreed with the, with the agency that um, that the idea that they thought was strongest was the idea we thought was strongest. And but that we had enough of a trusting relationship to say, well, hold on, we've got a bit of a we're not quite sure we're on the same page here, but let's let's revisit it. And that that happened on occasion, you know, where we'd have a a conversation over the course of a while, uh, over the course of a, a week or so. And sometimes a bit of research can give you some insights as well. Um, not that I'm saying delegate the responsibility or abdicate rather, not that not abdicating the responsibility to the to the uh, to the research process, but it can inform it, you know, yeah. it can help. Um, but your specific question, I think, was around how those meetings went. Um, normally pretty good fun, <laughs> normally good humoured. That would be a fun part of, of the week, you know. Um, but, but in terms of a script like that, and you're shown, say, six or seven others, what, what makes, in, if you'd had a difference of opinion or whatever, how would you know which one to plump for? Because maybe one of the other six would have been better, would have been worse. We, we don't really know. But was there yeah. something that made – was it a, uh, a disagreement that ended up in, in a sort of, all right, yeah, we'll do this one with the guy on the cliff. Um, we think it's probably going to work. Or did you did you feel more like um, you know it, it looked like the standout one? Or maybe there were budget considerations. There wasn't – fortunately, there wasn't so much of a budget – consideration in that case um because i think we did this in year three of my three years and we were on a bit of a roll by this point so success breeds success you know i'd gotten i guess quite a lot of headwind behind me and the team um so the fact that i presented the most expensive ad that britvic had made up to that point i probably got away with it because of the revenue that we'd been bringing in yeah um, although it still costs, a lot. I won't say how much it costs, but it was about half what most producers think it costs to yes. make. I've, I've um, heard the figure, but I won't say it in case it's... Uh... Yeah. Um, but was it the lead? I, I, so the example of going back was on a different project, actually. Um, I think it probably was in our top two or three, and uh, as in us, client team, and agency team thought it was in the top two top three and then we would normally put it to research and again, i guess stress it wasn't to abdicate responsibility to research but just or to to our audience but really just to get their input you know to find out what their thoughts might be um it's very difficult though because you're you're researching concepts it's not finished yeah. films or anything at that point so i can't imagine if i was given the script or the idea of black current tango as a research person and then being asked to in any way evaluate it, I'd be able to go, oh, yeah, this will sell more tango, or I like this or I don't like it, because it, a lot of it's in the execution. Correct, yeah. You can just, you can, it's just an input. It's one of, uh, you know, um, one of many kind of parts of the decision-making process. But, I mean, it, it was designed, I mean, it, the other thing as well, I mean, a 90-second ad hadn't really been done apart from that not much anyway apart from that i want to buy the world a coke and teach the world to sing thing which came in the 70s of course yeah um, well Chaz said it was you know in, in, the intention was to do a 30 because m- most of the tango ads up to then had been 30s and that's what it's easy to buy right. a media plan so for me it, it's kind of interesting to go well we'll have to tear up media plan and buy these spots that are three times the normal thing that we were going to do but we also have trust that that will i don't know have more impact or what, what were you thinking there in terms of changing that Absolutely, and um, 
So I, I, I uh, this is another part of it. All the parts of the the marketing elements have to work together for it to be successful. So one of the other one of the other aspects that had to work well was the was the media strategy. So you know the argument about yeah, but if it's a ninety, you're gonna um, you're gonna ha- you're gonna have all this wastage. Well, not if it means that the third of the number of people that see it really see it and actually are profoundly affected by it to the extent that it changes how they think about the brand. And that, I don't know if I said this earlier, but that was one of the other impacts that it had. All of us, and I knew this, and I suspected it would, and I knew it had happened because of the research that we did later. It put Tango in the minds of our customers in the same league as Coke. Not, of course, in sales. Yeah. Um, but in the, in the concept, in the, you know, share of mind idea, you yeah. know, all of a sudden this is a brand that plays on that scale because it felt such a, like a, such a big impactful message and our media buying strategy, which, um, uh, I thought was, again, it was nearly as brave as the, as the creative, I think, um, which was to, to kind of own that idea that we've got this 90 second ad, let's just take out breaks in our target audience where our target audience watch and, and and reach them in that way, you know, it, it was quite quite different at the time. Probably still different even today. Yeah, and I, I think that's a sort of it's not a debate that's going, but I, th- I think <clears throat> the way people um, are kind of a little bit conflicted at the moment about digital versus you know mass media advertising, and you have a, a sort of mass media brand in that. You know, if you put an ad out there, there are people who are outside your bullseye who might suddenly be in your bullseye or might go, oh, I hadn't even thought of that current tango. Now I do. Whereas so a, d- a digital campaign is very much targeted very specifically at a person because you can get these the data to find exactly that person. But when you realize we're all experiencing black current tango together, say, in the third break of TFI Friday, it feels like a cultural collective moment. Absolutely. I mean, that was the media strategy was let's pick programs where enough of our target audience will be watching it simultaneously so that when they talk about it with their mates the next day, at least one or two of them have experienced it together so that they can then have a conversation about it. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, th- I think that, that that's the kind of uh, advertising. It's not that it's not going at the moment, but there's so much money going towards Facebook and Google you know, in terms of doing the specific advertising on the digital side, that we lose bigger brand cultural moments that, that use things like... Yeah, well, that was absolutely the, the approach, was to create... I mean, I, the Americans might call them water cooler moments, yeah. but, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what the British version of that is. Probably is tea, The tea room moment. somewhere. I guess people are making... Yeah, probably tea. in the kitchen, you know, yeah. in the staff canteen. Exactly. Um, or, well, the school canteen as well, to mm. be fair. Cause, yeah. Because, you know, the... The target market. I think you touched on something earlier about, um, but it's just worth exploring. Tango had two target markets. One was like we used to say the bullseye for it was a 19-year-old lad, which actually meant that it was bought, consumed by people in their teens, all the way up to 19, yeah. because or, or older. But you know that's kind of the bullseye. But it was also mums and dads who were buying it for them in the supermarkets, right, doing the weekly yeah. shop. Yeah. So. Although the advertising was, some might say, some people think Tango advertising broke the rules. It didn't break any rules. It bent them. 
You know, you, you know, it's worth exploring the distinction there, I think, what, if you're what interested. You well, what do you mean? Yeah. Um, so it would always follow the category rules for soft drink advertising, for instance, in the in the case of the advertising. What are those rules? Or, um, appetite appeal was one of them. Right. You know, it had to feel like a food product. Mm-hmm. Had to be quite effervescent if you're a fizzy drink. You know, there's there are well, there were some embedded codes that had to be true for it to work. But then we would work out which rules to bend and and tweak them slightly, um, but not break them. So pushing things a little bit. But one of the things that I would always make sure we did was to research the mark the advertising programs with the buyers, uh, as in the people mums and dads buying the drinks so sometimes i mean with some of the ads that we had pushed it too far and i know you're going to ask me for an example of it now but i can't think of one right now but where when we took it into research the 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 the, the 19 year old might go yeah great but then the mum might say hold on a minute that's pushed it a little over the edge so we would pull back slightly from that and if and if mums were saying oh that's a bit pushy and that's a bit risque that's okay uh, but as long as it didn't actually turn them off, that makes sense. Absolutely, um, and I think also in in, uh, in this slightly post Brexit world at last that we're in, um, you know, for whatever it is, um, the whole idea of him having a go at a French exchange student um, was that did that feel riskily xenophobic to you, or was it? I mean, 1997 was a different time. I so. know. It was never meant to be like that, and it actually had a couple of MPs talking about it. One was yeah. pro-France, and one was kind of worried about it. So it had a couple of MPs debating it as well about, you know, what the heck was going on. Um, it wasn't specifically aimed at, at, at... I mean, it's just Ray Gardner saying, "I'm you're a French exchange student, aren't you? I'll take you all on. France, Europe, the world, I'll take you all on. Yeah. Would we get away with it today? I don't know. There's quite a bit of humour in, in that from that era that you'd look back on and go, not sure it would be uh, culturally appropriate today. Yeah, I'd say 100% we were, we were in a different time. And I think now it would actually be quite loaded with Brexit-ish notions and people you know, taking that out of it. So it's not just the art as it were, it's the context it appears in. and how. Yeah, the cultural context, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the other things that we all... I, I mean, I took that on board a lot, um, as in what's the cultural context in which we operate, you know, semiotic and all that. Mm. Um, what is the semiotic meaning of what we're about to do or what we're going to do and in the context in which we are in? And then what meaning will that create in the minds of our customers um, or drinkers or buyers or trade customers? And it's like thinking through all of that. Um, don't always get it right, of course, but we got it right a lot of the time. And um, I, I think I was also saying this to, to probably Chaz and Colin, where normally you'll do a shoot and you don't 100% know what the edit's going to look like because you, you might have 25 different shots, each with 15 different takes, and you're like, what, what's it come out of? So when you see the edit, you're like, oh. And in this instance, I'd imagine you had a very good idea of what the final cut was going to look like because you'd seen one good 30 and another 30 stuck together and another 30 stuck together, and you go, yeah, I've, I've got a pretty good good idea there. So when you saw the edit, were you like, oh, great, it worked? Yeah, and, and it was uh, originally created as one shot, 
you know yeah. it just happened to be in three locations but the feel was for it to be mm. in one shot i'm sure colin spoke about that i think that might have been what he suggested well he did on the technical part. side i think he had done a long shot before which i think Chaz had seen on a program but at the same time yeah he, he pushed that quite a lot and he, he told me where the cut points are and you kind of and you can see them when, when you know about them but oh, I think, absolutely yeah a lot i mean it was designed to look like one shot yeah and i think i think it comes off pretty well in that way yeah yeah and were you, like you say, when you're shown where they are you know yeah were, and there are no jump jets there right yes he mentioned that that was done in post as well and i think he mentioned <laughs> he might have mentioned something else about different planes and jump jets being the right ones oh yeah spitfires came up as a possibility yeah we wanted something british you know that is a very british brand still is yeah exactly um and were you involved in the tango eye dance that Chaz and Jim did as well? Yeah. And yeah. The, I, I thought they were fantastic as well. So how was your, he, he, he kind of said that, you know, eye dance were always the same in a program. You'd have the same, you know, however many six. So there our revolution with that was to make them as almost like performance art. Yeah. They'd only ever be shown once. So, so I was thinking, how the heck do we do that? And I actually afford to do it. So that's what, I mean, that actually was another one with Jim and with Chaz and Jim as well. So, um, and we did we did it across Tango sponsors. The word yeah. um, was, a, you know, spot on media buy for for the, the target audience. Um, so the idea was to come up with something that was fun and you know it would only ever be aired once each. But therefore, they had to be pretty inexpensive to produce and make lots of them. Uh, on a reasonably on a reasonable budget which is what we managed to do yeah he said i think he said they went back to where they grew up and basically just shot loads of them around there and i was asking him about the relative price of johnny ball versus and he was yeah. like well norman wisdom was on the as a possibility as well there and i was going oh interesting this is you know when you just see them you don't realize all the stuff that went on behind the scenes but um yeah yeah there was a lot of fun there i think johnny ball liked it you know he he probably that would be an example of using the, the, the brand's humour reputation, if you like, to kind of get talent involved, hopefully, at not too big a price, which is what happened. Well, I think you said that Johnny was in a bit of a lull, really, at that, at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We also had as well, which, do you remember him? Oh, off Stuart, oh yeah, the, the, some, the, some, the Germans are coming, the Germans are coming? Is it? Yeah, that's right, <laughs> it's a knockout. Yeah, that's great. So, um, you, you've, I guess you've had a lot of, I don't know if you wanted to talk about, because we touched on it a little bit, the kind of moment when it came out and how big it was culturally, because, you know, I've, I've touched on that with, with, uh, with Colin and, and Chaz, because it, it was a massively famous ad at the time. And, and when I put it on LinkedIn, the reason, part of the reason I'm having these, these chats with you guys is that it's always the most beloved ad of that time that people go, it made me want to get into advertising. I still love it now. I can still watch it now. Um, when that actually all happened, how did you feel kind of being responsible for it? It was good, obviously. Um, I mean, it it won everything, which is kind of a bit of a blanket statement, but it seemed to be winning every single award. In fact, including it won ITV. I mean, not that the winning awards is important in in in, in, in as an end in themselves, so it's worth talking about that for a second. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, it was designed to make Tango feel different uh, in Britain with its customers and with um, the trade, so its end customers, the users, the drinkers, 
and for them to enjoy the brand more. Um, and also with our trade partners, like I said, Tesco and Sainsbury's and all the rest, so that they also saw it in the same scale as Coke, you know, because this is the insight. Buyers will react to brands in the same way that, that you and I would when we're buying it. You know, they can't help it. It's just human nature. So if, the, if we made the brand feel big, it would feel big to anyone who's, who saw it. So it was super important that it worked on all those audiences. The, the winning awards was a byproduct. I only mentioned that preamble because I wouldn't want you to think that I was fixated on that or anything. But it, it won ITV's ad of the year, and it also won some Grand Prix of ad of the best ad in the world, I think, at some point. And this was in New York. But none of us could afford to go to the awards <laughs> ceremony. So we had to accept it um, uh, from a distance. Yeah, like George Clooney, he's he's making a movie. He's won his Oscar. He's got to, he's got to do a little from here. I am from my set. Thanks very much <laughs> for my award. No, sure it was anywhere near as glamorous to reason as that. By the way, well, the, the, the awards thing is interesting because we all, you know, it feels like there's a little bit of a, awards have become, I think, corrupted over maybe the last twenty years. You know, people have been trying to create ads that win awards as opposed to ads that are big. And I think people often wonder if, if clients ever really give a shit about awards because they're, they're important to us for raises and, and promotions and things. But do even that you've mentioned them just just now, but do, do you care if they win an award or not? Does it make much difference? Not really. I mean, it's nice. That's what I'm saying. It's nice. It's it's a nice to have, but it's not core to why you do something. Right. From a marketing, from a marketing director point of view. It. it I think it all comes down to intentionality, you know, and, and, and is there a trusted relationship? And would I hire it? Does that make sense? I, yeah. it's, I'm not saying they're not important. I'm saying that they're, it's a nice byproduct of, it's like, you know, why are you in business? If you say you're in business to make profit, that's not, that's not going to work. You know, you have to be in business to, do, to supply a good, to supply a good product or a good service to customers at a fair price that's, you know, reasonable and, do that over time and not rip people off and then you will make profit naturally and not harm the planet. That's the other thing that's important as far as I'm concerned. You know, are you good for people? Do you not harm the planet? And if you do those two things long term, you'll naturally make profit, yeah. you know, as long as you're efficient and so on. Yeah. But if you fixate on profit, and I think this is the point I'm trying to make, is if you fixate on profit, then that naturally leads to short-termism and naturally leads to... Um, problems i think long term and i think if therefore is the analogy would be if you were a creative team that fixated on awards you might win a few but it's going to get you a but they might not work so if you've got a reputation for winning winning creative purely creative awards that didn't work then what's the point yeah i mean i think we, we've kind of got it a bit backwards lately because you know, uh, most creatives get promoted or, or get raises based on awards. People are like, right, how can I win an award? And, and then that started to get people to game the system. So instead of you yeah. do your job and if you do your job well, you get an award, it's like, okay, so awards go to these kind of ads. I'm going to make this kind of ad. I'm going to lay my ad out in this way. I'm going to make sure it doesn't have these things and does have these things, as opposed to thinking what's going to make people buy this product. So, yeah. 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 It's, it is commercial art. You know, there's two parts yeah. to it, isn't it? It's not just art unfortunately i mean and if you want to do if you want to be a pure art person you know that's that's a perfectly valid career but but this is the realm of commercial art yeah that makes yeah, you yeah. know 
both parts have to be present. But equally, just being commercial doesn't work either. The, the, tr the challenge is coming up with ideas that are on brand and exciting and different and interesting. I think, you, you know, maybe it's, I see quite a lot where there are either, quite a lot of marketing materials by which I mean the stuff you see so that this we are talking about advertising now I guess but quite a lot of that I see is definitely on brand it fits the brand but isn't very interesting so it doesn't work or it's very interesting for some reason or other but I can't remember what it's for and therefore that doesn't work either you know yeah and they, these are essential things and they, they kind of almost seem self-evident and obvious when you're saying them and yet a lot of advertising comes out that doesn't fulfill on both. It needs to be both, and yeah. that's the that's the trick. You know, the difficult bit is to be both, to be both right for the brand and distinctive and interesting and engaging, and to, to achieve the cut through. Yeah, a, a difficult combination. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so you've done this ad, and it's been big. It's been really successful. What happened next for you? Um. So it it this was about. Yeah, I, I mean, I looked after the tank. Did I get promoted off the back of it? Probably. It sort of helped. Um, I'm not sure it was Black Crown Tango on its own. Certainly the Tango case study helped me get my next job, which was to be, I worked for a media company, um, a division of Time Warner. Um, and then I worked for the BBC for a while. So I suppose it helped in all of those. So it's like the success of the brand overall helped, you know, boost my um, kind of, story i suppose uh with future employers so it certainly didn't do me any harm uh yeah probably didn't definitely did me a lot of good well i'm thinking that it would have been you know being involved with a, a famous piece of work like that and it was interesting that you're saying you didn't just become another client or you didn't maybe extend your time so much at that you, you went and did something slightly different um yeah i mean i'd been at britvic 10 years and I'd looked after various brands, including Pepsi, but the last look brand I looked after was Tango, um, which I did for, yeah, three and a half years. Um, now you come to think of it, probably. <laughs> it's, I'm sure it was Headhunters were calling me because of the, the Tango famousness, but it, it, um, when you are going for job interviews for other in other marketing environments, that's just the... Uh, just opens the door you've still got to talk the right language in terms of how are you going to help me grow my business or my brand and then you get back to the you know what's the marketing going to what's the advertising going to be what's the promotion going to be what, what what's the pricing structure what's your distribution strategy how are you going to liaise with all these other departments you know etc yeah. it's bringing all that together and it's like being the conductor maybe of an orchestra you know uh, knowing how to get the right talent in the right places at the right times for it all to work together sure uh, and i guess one other aspect that, that's kind of interesting that, that you know just to the side of the the, the black current tango ad itself is your relationship with the agency i mean at that time <clears throat> i could tell you as a creative in the mid 90s how henry was seen as this uh place that was very unconventional and yet obviously they had you know really amazing cut through ads that, that were kind of brilliant how how is your working relationship with them as an agency? Did did you work for other agencies and, and did, what was the comparison like? Yes, I did work with other agencies before HHCL. Um, I think that what set HHCL apart at that time was this idea of a trusted relationship that they genuinely tried to cultivate, and um, I 
definitely learned that from them. Um, and I suppose I kind of assumed that that was normal. And then I, so I had worked with other agencies before. Um, and so I suppose I should have realized that it wasn't quite as normal. And it wasn't everyone at Hal Henry, by the way. It was the, the team we had on my account um, were particularly collaborative. But I think it worked because it was a two-way street, you know. I would let them into my world and they would let me into their world and that would create stronger, a stronger relationship and stronger work. Right. Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It was like you saying being on secondment in the creative department for a bit. How, how, what, what was that What was that like? Did Had you ever known what it was really like writing an ad? No, or? not until then, but uh, it's it was a great time. And Al, Al Young was my creative director. Trevor yeah. and Al, do you remember them? I do. We spoke to them lately, and I'm still keeping touch with I've spoke to Trev recently. Um, it was about Tango as well, weirdly enough. But he's got his own production company now. Yeah. I've lost touch now, but but it was um, it was interesting. The thing that you're taught as clients is to be in judge mode all the time. And what I learned uh, by forcing to be part of a creative team is you also have to switch that judge off yeah. to allow creativity to flourish, which is actually applicable in in all realms of innovation you know not just ad innovation but sure. product development innovation or any kind of um strategic innovative thinking i found Absolutely. so it was a bloody good lesson <laughs> i'm sure and I, I think it'd be great if both did a bit of both because i think i think if if creatives at least spent a day or a week at the client's place and kind of worked out what the hell because you know it's like we were going back to before this is a, a small part of a much larger job for a a client in inverted commas yeah. so you know the idea that we're sitting there thinking that you're just waiting there with a like a, a gang of jackals waiting to rip it tear a script apart if it's not quite right or or remove money from the budget or something like, or, or be very supportive and collaborative i don't know but we kind of see it as like this is the because it's the only part of the job we see it's often the only part of the job that we kind of consider actually happens. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Uh, it's the comments both ways, I think, are very beneficial to all parties, you know? Yeah. Um, so we're coming up to sort of an, an hour or so. I was just kind of wondering uh, if you want to talk a little bit about what you're, what you're up to at the moment. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm at a company called goodwork.company. Um, that's the web address, as well as the name of the company, goodwork.company, not .co.uk and not .com, because they've all long gone. So goodwork.company, and it's all about a marketing consultancy that's um, working with brands and working with companies that are trying to do good for people and not harm the planet, and as a, as a natural consequence of that, um, make profit out of that so it's the, the profit is a natural byproduct if you like of those first two things doing good for people you know customers and not harming the planet and i think um you know that rsa poll have you, did you come across that the um uh, and gallup have recently done yes one you know that said um nine percent of us want to go back to the way things were which you know if you think about that another way it's uh Ninety-one percent of us, all of us people <laughs> in Britain, anyway, where the survey was done, want want companies. To, I think need companies to act differently. So um, even if the, 
business owner, the company leaders or whoever are sort of have an inkling that they need to do what's right for people and the planet as well as for profit, of course. Um, they might have an inkling about it, but my argument would be or my contention would be that they really ought to be thinking about it very, very deeply because their customers are thinking about it, even if they're not. And their future talent is thinking about it, you know, so it's going to affect their ability to hire the best people if they're not not acting well. Yeah, I mean, and as I believe you know, um, I, I'm very much of the same opinion as you and feel like it's not just that we need those brands to happen, but I think we need uh, advertising that bears all those things in mind as opposed to, yeah, how can we just sell a whole bunch of stuff that people don't really need? I don't think we can responsibly be those people in the world anymore. And I think we need to um, look at, as you say, the people pla people and planet and profits. And you, you need all three of them to kind of have something that's going to be appropriate going forward into the future. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And actually, you made me think of something, which is I think the root cause of this is that people have, and by which I mean on both client side and agency side of the equation, have misunderstood what marketing is. So if you think of marketing as as just communications or just advertising, then that would lead clients to think, or maybe some agencies to think, if you like, that they can advertise their way out of a problem. Does that make sense? Whereas the under, if the underlying truth is that the, the organization is not good for people or does harm the planet, then you can't promote your way out of that you know the truth is the truth um and probably like you you know you'd want to make sure that you were creating um creative work that was in in service of organizations that were genuine about um doing the right things yeah and i i think you know it's interesting what, what you said in terms of things like semiotics or whatever you're signaling to people as well because i think there's a responsibility to have about the advertising we put out. We're putting out mass communications, for a lot of us, and they've got consequences. So whether you're making little girls anorexic or you're making people feel you know, fulfilled and inspired about doing something great for the world, I think we've got to really recognize that it's not just, hey, can we sell blah, blah, and whatever the consequences. I think it, it's being responsible for all those things that's really important. I, I absolutely, totally agree with you. You know, it is an it's a big responsibility because you're affecting culture mm. and that could have an, an adverse consequence um, if it's not being affected in a good way. <laughs> so yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's important to think about what your, what your impact is going to be on, 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 on culture. Yeah. Um, well, it's been fascinating and I've really enjoyed our conversation. Um, yeah. So huge thanks for that. Uh, David, it's been a real education, and I hope um, you know people have learned a lot more, you know, about one of their favourite ads. So enormous thanks for that. Yeah, thank you, Ben. Really appreciate it, and thank you for your kind words on LinkedIn the other week, which uh, <laughs> prompted all of this, uh, which I think I responded to to you, to you. So thank you very much for that. Uh, appreciate it. My pleasure, and uh, yeah, have a good day. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Bye.
loves to watch Christmas.